We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Welcome to At Your Service. Brad Young sitting in with you this evening until 10 o'clock. i got to tell you, we're going to have a struggle tonight. I've got about five hours of material, and Matt Pajeski, board operator, is looking at me like, oh, no, I'm not working overtime. Uh, but uh, we've got a lot of stuff to cover tonight. We've got interviews. We've got news of the day. Uh, we've got fun and frivolity. Speaking of which... Before we dive into all this, and by the way, if you want to text us at any time, love getting texts, you know the text number, 314-436-7900. I got to tell you, did you see the video this week? This is not political in any way, but there was a video that came out. uh, It was from Los Angeles over the weekend of some rocket scientist, Mensa candidate, who had rented a Tesla and was driving it. Of course, he had all of his friends shooting this on video so they could post it on social media. But uh, but this video showed the Tesla going really, really fast, like probably 90, 100 miles an hour on the street. And it ramps into the air, flies through the air, and then crashes into some other cars and basically completely wrecks the vehicle. And the, the reason why I mentioned that is... I grew up in a small town in southern Illinois, a little town. Uh, I think there's 6,000 people there now south of Mount Vernon, Illinois. And uh, when I was a junior in high school, one of our radical classmates, I won't mention his name, but uh, he, he was doing something similar, except obviously there was no Teslas. This was in the 1980s, no Teslas then. But he got going. He was uh, I wasn't there, but everybody knew about it. He was heavily intoxicated, and I'm not telling the story to brag on him. I'm just telling you the story because it it came to mind when I saw the Tesla. So this guy was driving his car very fast, heavily intoxicated. He ramps into the air, except he didn't have his friends around shooting video of it. Instead of crashing on the street, though, this guy from my high school class literally lands on the roof of a house and the car goes into the living room of this house. And nobody was injured. Uh, the people were in bed asleep when it happened. So there were no people in the living room of this house. 
And again, this guy from my high school, heavily intoxicated, he wasn't injured, but he, he stumbles out of the car and somehow manages to get home with no one seeing him. And he then immediately called the police and reported his car as being stolen. And, <laughs> and again, I'm not telling the story to say I approve of this because uh, the, the next day he, we were talking about it at school and he told me what he did. And and he said, Brad, do you think I broke the law? And I said, yeah, how many? I, I got to add up the number of laws that you've broken. And, uh, and then to add insult to injury, about six months later, he got an, an, a large settlement from his insurance company paying him for his totaled car that was, quote, stolen, unquote, and crashed into somebody's house. So uh, with, with regard to this Tesla, I'm certainly glad that nobody was injured. But if you haven't seen the video, just go and Google uh, you know, Tesla, flying Tesla, and I'm sure it'll come up instantly. It's, it's, it is truly amazing to watch. The other thing that was truly amazing to watch this week were the confirmation hearings. Uh, Ketanji Brown Jackson, of course, nominated by President Biden to the U.S. Supreme Court. She was questioned extensively yesterday and today. Uh, There's going to be some additional testimony from legal experts coming up tomorrow, I believe. But the but the serious questioning, actually, the questioning of of uh, Judge Brown is is over and or Judge Jackson, rather, is completely over. So she won't have to to face the grilling uh, any further on this. And uh, experts believe that the vote will probably be taken before Easter. I'm thinking it'll probably be done a little before then. Uh, we haven't seen any serious opposition come out. And uh, certainly no one from her high school has come forward to talk about the fact that she likes beer. That that didn't come out in this in this particular Supreme Court nomination hearing. But uh, but in any event, as the show unfolds this evening, I've I spent the better part of today getting some audio clips of some of the questions, some of the statements from the senators who were questioning uh, Judge Jackson and, and some of her answers. And certainly Supreme Court nominees never disclose too much information. But what Judge Jackson did disclose yesterday and today I think is truly revealing into her philosophy of America, her view of America, and how she believes cases should be adjudicated at the Supreme Court level. So again, as the show unfolds tonight, I'll be playing some of those clips for you when we're not in the middle of an interview. And certainly at any time, if you've got some comments on that, we're also going to talk about William Tisby in the news we're going to talk about Kim Gardner in the news. Uh, we're going to talk about Vladimir Putin's defense minister suddenly vanishing with alleged heart problems. <laughs> yeah, I bet he's got heart problems. Yeah, there's like a six-inch spike uh, in his heart. Of course he's got heart problems. And uh, we'll be talking about all of the news of the day. 314-436-7900. Coming up after the break, though, we're going to talk to Dan Stephen. He's the president of Central Bank in St. Louis. And we're going to talk to him about how the Fed's decision to raise interest rates this week will affect you. 
Coming up next on KMOX at your service. We'll be right back. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome back to At Your Service. By an overwhelming margin, the economy clearly is the number one issue for Americans today, and I know it's the number one issue for you as well. But how might the recent move by the Federal Reserve, as well as future moves, how would those impact your finances, your pocketbook? So joining us this evening is Dan Stephen. He's the president of Central Bank in St. Louis. Hey, Dan, thanks for joining us again on KMOX. My pleasure, Brad. Uh, last week, the Federal Reserve raised interest rates, but before we talk about the impact of that, Dan, tell us about where interest rates have been for the past two years and also why they've been so low. So the Fed's overnight rate has been set in a target range of zero to a quarter of a percent. So obviously about as low as you can get. And the, the most recent last two years, the rate's been that low primarily due to the impact of the pandemic on the economy. And when the pandemic hit, uh, the Fed didn't know what it was going to do to the economy. And so they quickly moved uh, the rate down and they left it there until they saw it rebound to their satisfaction. Right. And we did see that. We saw we saw the economy. And I know there was a lot of fancy terminology for that, but a V-shaped curve or a K-shaped curve. But we saw the economy plummet rather quickly. And that's when the Fed responded by lowering the rates to at or near zero. Correct. So, uh, like you said, there's a lot of terminology, but they, they refer to the GDP or gross domestic product as sort of an indication of how healthy the economy is. And in 2019, pre-pandemic, it, it grew about 2.3%. And then in 2020, in the kind of the heart of the pandemic, it declined 3.4%. So that's what caused them to start digging in and uh, feeding the fire to uh, revive it. So, so folks who are not uh, dealing with finances on a day-to-day basis like you are, Dan, uh, how is it that lowering interest rates to zero or close to zero, how, is, how does that actually stimulate the economy? Well, it basically, um, you know, lowering the rate uh, makes money cheaper, and so people are more likely to borrow it and more likely to use it a little more freely. So... You know, no one's budget works perfectly well. Every month you got X amount coming in and X amount going out. And when you're a little short, you have to get that from somewhere. A lot of people get that by leaving some balances on their credit cards. 
So they are effectively borrowing money for that last extra purchase they make because they leave it on their credit card. And uh, effectively, over time, people's behavior will change based on what that extra money costs them. Or from a business sense, I can see business owners who need to expand their business might want to borrow the money to build a new building or open a new factory or open a new location. They might do that if they can borrow money at extremely low rates. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, on the on the business side, same situation. You know, they have either some surplus funds or a little, little short every month, and they have long-term capital plans, like you suggest, maybe more new equipment, new trucks, new whatever. And uh, the, the cost of the money to, to make those uh, expansion moves it weighs heavily on whether they have feel comfortable making them. So now let's fast forward a couple of years. What has the economy economy been doing that warrants the corrective action that we're seeing now by the Federal Reserve? So uh, two things have got the uh, uh, at least two things have got the Fed concerned that, that gross domestic product or the strength of the economy has picked up pretty uh, aggressively. So as I mentioned earlier, it was, the economy was down about 3.4% in 2020. And then throughout 2021, it gained momentum to the point where by the fourth quarter, the annualized rate that the economy was improving was 6.9%. So that's really strong. And for the year as a whole, they're estimating it at about 6%. So, you know, it, it looks as though the Fed basically overstimulated the economy to avoid it going uh, in the tank. And so now they got to put on the brakes. We're uh, we're talking to Dan Stephen. He's the president of Central Bank in St. Louis. And last week, the Federal Reserve voted to increase interest rates by a quarter point. So we're all talking about inflation. We're all dealing it. We see if you go to the if you go to the gas station, prices are up. If you go to the grocery store, all of the groceries are up, particularly meats, uh, chicken, beef, pork. It's all going up extremely high. So, so Dan, Stephen, how will increasing interest rates, how will that impact inflation, at least in theory? Well, in theory, it will cool spending gradually as they gradually increase the cost of money. So like I, my example, in the average household every month, if you left $1,000 on your credit card and the bill was uh, interest bill was $10 or something, you'd probably say that's not a big deal. But in two months, if it's $12 and then in two more months, if it's $14, as they creep up that cost, theoretically, you'll think twice about, about mm-hmm. buying that extra sweater or the extra Maserati, whatever your uh, you know, edge of reason is and uh you'll you'll cool down a little and you'll buy less and the economy will get back into kind of the the right temperature of the porridge the right temperature of the porridge trying to go for that just right goldilocks effect uh so exactly yep so as the federal reserve raises interest rates to fight inflation folks may be hearing this dan and thinking oh that's great for economists that's great for bank presidents but how will it impact Main Street? We're talking about Wall Street a lot of times, but how will rising interest rates impact folks on Main Street? Well, I think people will find a little uh, bracket creep on all the ways they get money. Uh, 
So if they use their credit card, that would be one way. If, you know, once a quarter they, you know, dip into their home equity loan and borrow a few thousand dollars to make uh, pay for the big expenditures. However they balance their money, if it involves borrowing money, instead of uh, paying cash for a car if they decide to borrow for it, all those things are going to be creeping up until the Fed feels like the economy is uh, cooling a little and that inflation rate comes back into its target range around 2%. So. For the past year, so many of my friends, Dan, I, I could list uh, a long list of people I know that have been desperate to buy a house, and they just couldn't do it uh, because there was a shortage of houses and interest rates were so low and people were overpaying for the listing price on houses. It was a truly crazy market. So if someone uh, wants to buy a home in, in an environment of rising interest rates, how's that going to impact the housing market? Well, uh, the housing market will be impacted by the cost of money. So, by example, long-term mortgage rates in the last four months have gone up about 1%. So, that's a lot. So, from, say, roughly low threes to low fours. <coughs> and, um, you know, take some buying power away from the buyer. The other piece of that puzzle is this question whether whether we have enough housing stock. I think mm-hmm. I've, seen, I've seen some estimates were like 4 million units short in the country. <coughs> so that will uh, also be part of the puzzle. So even if the cost goes up, if the supply is still too short, people may just do what they have to do to buy. That's true. But it seems like, at least in theory, one of the reasons why there's not enough housing is because the low interest rates spur people to move and to buy new houses. But again, at least in theory, in, a, in an environment of increasing uh, mortgage rates, in theory, uh, the home buying spree should at least cool off somewhat. Agreed. Agreed. You know, the, the pandemic seems to have had some impact on that. You know, will people have to go back to their offices or will they keep working from home and will they want a nicer home because they're there 24-7? We're, uh, we're talking to Dan Stephen. He's the president of Central Bank in St. Louis. And, Dan, what has the Federal Reserve signaled as it relates to future rate increases? In other words, they're not done, are they? No. Uh, you know, the expression I've heard is this is far from a one-and-done situation. They, they think it's important not just to make adjustments to rate but kind of warn people so that uh, nobody's shocked one day and whatever. So they try to give you some indication of their expectations. And their latest indications are a series of smaller rate hikes until the porridge cools off a little. So they're talking about various estimates from 7 to 10 little bumps along the way between now and roughly the end of next year to the point where that rate that's just going up a quarter from basically zero to a quarter now is most experts are projecting will be like two and a half-ish by the end of next year, plus or minus a half a point. So so if I could put this in layman's terms, instead of really jolting the economy by all of a sudden raising interest rates by a full percentage point or even 1.5 percentage points, which would, which would have a dramatic negative effect on the economy, the Federal Reserve is going to do a series of of like pulling the Band-Aid off gently instead of just ripping it off all at once. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, that's very accurate. So, uh, and, and one little signal the way the Fed operates, too, is this most recent meeting, one of the voting members voted for a half a percent uh, increase. So 
So you know there's already at least one person in that mm-hmm. body that's thinking this current rate change was a little light. So that's also a little yellow flag that there's probably more pressure to go up a little quicker than, than not. Mm. We're talking to Dan Steven. He's the president of Central Bank in St. Louis. So until inflation is wrestled uh, under control here, Dan, it looks like folks are going to have to deal with both increasing prices on everything as well as rising interest rates, uh, at least until we hit that uh, Goldilocks uh, right where the porridge is just perfect. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. And I was trying to look for a silver lining in all of this, Dan, as I was thinking about this today. And and uh, for the past decade or maybe even longer, maybe two decades, individual bank savings accounts have paid literally almost nothing in interest. So if we can find any silver lining in this, could we possibly see some small increases in the interest rates for our, our bank savings accounts? Yeah, I think you're right. That is a silver lining, but I, I don't think it'll be quickly because there's two factors that are going to impact that. You know, basically, you know, during the pandemic, you know, the banking industry, you know, to support its clients and the economy and whatnot, kind of let its margin decline a little. So our profitability has been down, of, you know, in terms of gross margin. In good times, you know, our gross profit margins around three to four percent. Uh, it's probably gets as low as two and a half. Right now, we're about 275. So as an industry, as rates rise, they're going to try to get back to a little better margin. And then the other mm-hmm. piece of the puzzle is that the pandemic stimulus put an awful lot of money into the system. So so banks in general, a lot of corporations in general, and, and a lot of individuals are a little more liquid today than they would have been a couple of years ago. So until banks need to bid to get money, they're going right. to you know, be slow to raise the, the, what they're paying for it. Well, I'll be watching for that slimmest of silver linings <laughs> here. Uh, we've been talking to Dan Steven. He's the president of Central Bank in St. Louis. Hey, Dan, you're very generous with your time. Thanks for joining us on CamoX. All right. My pleasure, Brad. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, Bye. it's great, great to talk to you again. Uh, when we come back, we're going to open the phone lines. I'm going to go through uh, the uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson Supreme Court nomination hearings. But whatever's on your mind, phone lines are open. 314-436-7900 at your service. KMOX. We'll be right back. Welcome back to At Your Service. Brad Young in with you this evening. And uh, I try to mention this from time to time, but when we call the show At Your Service, from my perspective, let us let me tell you what that means. From, from my perspective, when we say At Your Service, that means not just that we're here for you, but that you get to participate in the show. And there's no other media outlet out there today where the, the, the listeners or the audience gets to participate in the show. So I welcome callers. I especially welcome callers who disagree with me, not because I'm looking for an argument, but but that's where we learn. Uh, in law school, whenever the professor would ask questions about a case, it, the, the professor didn't want people just to agree with him or her. The professor wanted there to be a discussion so that ideas and truth and learning can come from that dialogue. And that's what I love about radio. There's no other medium where you get to do that. 
not television, not certainly not print, uh, not reading things on the Internet, and not listening to podcasts. So when I say at your service, that's what I mean, is that not just that we're here to serve you, but that we're here to participate with you in the show. And that means by calls or by texts, 314-436-7900. And I, I tried in between uh, practicing law yesterday and today, uh, I tried to watch as much of the Katanji Brown-Jackson nomination hearing as I could, and I and I... Thankfully, I'm an extremely fast reader, so I read a lot of the transcripts from the hearings because it's important. Whoever's on the Supreme Court determines how the Constitution applies to you, whether laws are found to be constitutional or not constitutional. It could mean the difference of you going to jail or not going to jail. It could mean the difference between being forced to be vaccinated by the government when you don't want to be as opposed to having to get vaccinated or go to prison. I mean, those are all things that are impacted and directly affected by who is on the Supreme Court. That's why it's important. And unlike your legislators that if, if you don't like them, you can vote them out of office two, four, every six years, uh, depending on what branch they're in. But once someone gets to the Supreme Court, they're there and they're not leaving. So it's important. And I just want to mention three things, three key points that I gleaned from the hearings over the past couple of days. First, the questioning from Ted Cruz. Some of it I thought was a little silly, particularly when he was trying to make questions about, ask questions about whether babies can be anti-racist or racist. And and I, I know the point he was trying to make, but I didn't think that it was directly relevant to ask a Supreme Court nominee whether babies can be racist or not. Uh, that, that was that was just grandstanding. But he specifically, and I thought this was not only relevant, but it was insightful. Whenever Ted Cruz asked Judge Jackson about the 1619 Project, as well as critical race theory, and how it, the ideas in those two items, that being the 1619 Project and CRT, how they impacted her sentencing record. And and Cruz, particularly yesterday, honed in on a speech, and he was quoting from a speech that Judge Jackson gave in 2020 where she was praising the 1619 Project. And the reason I have a problem with this is because the 1619 Project is simply fraud. And it's been debunked by any legitimate historian. I mean, for example, the 1619 Project says that our country was founded in 1619. It was not. We know that the United States of America didn't exist in any way before 1776. We know that. And so it didn't start in 1619 when when African slaves were brought into this country no more than it started uh, when the Mayflower landed or uh, or when any of the early explorers landed in North America. It didn't start until our country became a nation, and that was in 1776. But also, the 1619 Project asserts, and it's a false claim, that the, that the American Revolution was fought to defend slavery. The American Revolution. I'm not talking about the Civil War, but the Revolutionary War, according to uh, the drafters of the 1619 Project, 
the American Revolution was fought to defend slavery, which is simply false. It is simply false. And so, uh, as Ted Cruz pointed out, because the Judge Jackson initially said that the 1619 Project really was not anything she wanted to talk about, and yet Ted Cruz read an excerpt from her speech just two years ago praising both the 1619 Project and critical race theory. And here's where that questioning really became relevant, because in this speech from 2020, Judge Jackson admitted that critical race theory impacted her as a judge in terms of how she sentenced criminals. So I want that to soak in a moment because you know how we see the idea that justice is blind? You've seen that, the statue of the blind woman holding the scales. Now, of course, it's a, it's a metaphor. It's a, it's a picture of a concept that the laws are to apply equally regardless of who you are, regardless of your wealth, regardless of your status, regardless of your color. And folks over the years have rightfully so said that many African-Americans in this country don't get justice correctly because of their race. They're not, they haven't been adjudicated uh, as a white person may have. And I don't have any problem admitting that that's happened in circumstances uh, in our nation. It's to, to say otherwise would be, again, to ignore history. And yet to solve that, to solve that disparity means that justice should truly be blind. But instead, those who are in favor of critical race theory, like Judge Jackson, don't want justice to be blind. They still want justice to be peeking out from under that blindfold, but only instead of giving preferential treatment to whites, she wants to give preferential treatment to blacks. And at least from my perspective, and I think the perspective of anyone who looks at this objectively, no one should be getting preferential treatment whether you're white or black or anything else. No one should be getting preferential treatment. And yet Judge Jackson admitted that that was used in her sentencing of criminals if they were African-Americans. And to me, that's simply wrong. We should not be using race as a basis for determining how long a person is sentenced, either giving less sentences to folks because they're white or giving greater sentences to folks because they're black. It should be a non-issue. It should be a non-issue. Yet to Judge Jackson, it is not. And he, Ted Cruz, even produced a speech, I believe it was from 2015, where she said that her work as sentencing guidelines were directly impacted and influenced by critical race theory. And that's my whole problem with CRT. CRT does not advocate getting rid of discrimination. It simply says instead of discriminating against blacks, we should be discriminating against whites. And folks, that's just wrong. We shouldn't be discriminating against anyone. And yet that's not what CRT says. Uh, we're gonna, I, I've got some other points to make here, but we're coming up on the clock. If you saw any part of, this, uh, of these hearings over the last couple of days, what did you think? Do you think that uh, Ketanji Brown-Jackson should be on the Supreme Court? Should she not be? Uh, should senators vote to put her on the Supreme Court? Would she make a good justice? What are your thoughts? 314-436-7900. We're going to talk more about Judge Jackson right after this. Mm-hmm. 
Welcome back to At Your Service. Brad Young in with you this evening until 10 o'clock. And I don't want to dive too deeply into this. This is another one of the things that really, from from my perspective as an attorney, really came out crystal clear during the confirmation hearings uh, over the last couple of days with Judge Jackson. And that's this. Uh, and I'm going to I'm not trying to make this into a constitutional law class because nobody wants to hear that. So but just generally speaking, there's two types of rights. One is 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 what's called your uh, under the due process clause of both the Fifth Amendment and the Fourteenth Amendment. That due process talks about your your rights to have a hearing, to have a trial to have your property secured from searches and seizures, to not have to give a statement if you've been arrested. Those are all actual actual rights that you have under the Constitution, rights granted by the federal government, and by extension to the state governments through the 14th Amendment. But there's also this idea of something called substantive due process. And there are books and books and books written about substantive due process. So to, to, to wrap up the concept in 30 seconds or less, substantive due process are those squishy rights that don't exist anywhere in the Constitution that are essentially invented by activist judges. So, for example, Roe versus Wade. There's no right to an abortion in the Constitution. You can't find it in the Constitution anywhere. And yet it was invented in the 1970s, 1973, I believe, under the concept of what's called a substantive due process, where you have the right to protect, uh, you have the right to uh, have a baby aborted if you so choose. And that right exists under the Fifth Amendment and under the Fourteenth Amendment. Now, the reason why that gives conservatives heartburn, conservatives like me have a lot of heartburn over that, because it's not foundational. It's not applicable. In other words, it's squishy. So when President Biden even said before he nominated Judge Jackson, he said, I'm looking for someone who will adopt what's called the living constitution concept or philosophy. Well, that basically means the constitution can mean whatever we want it to mean today. And if we want it to mean something else tomorrow or next week or next year, we can mold it into what we want it to be. But that's not the idea of what a constitution is, because then it's not a foundation. It's simply we're going to make it in the image that we want it to be instead of amending that constitution like the the framers of the constitution envisioned. And there are ways to do that. So in the in the hearings, both yesterday and today, Judge Jackson specifically, specifically endorsed this concept of substantive due process. And here's what she said, and I wrote down the quote. They, uh, meaning the Supreme Court, have interpreted that it to mean not just procedural rights relative to government action, but also the protection of certain personal rights related to intimacy and autonomy, unquote, she continued. So that's a quote, and she went into some more details that were very long, very learned. She's, She's very intelligent, no question about that but I'm more interested in their philosophy. And her philosophy is one that says the Supreme Court is squishy. Now, I'm going to play a couple of clips here if I've got time. The first one is from Senator uh, Hirono from Hawaii. And she really contradicts herself when she talks about 
the purpose and the idea behind Judge Jackson's nomination. Some of my Republican colleagues and public figures have attempted to undermine your qualifications through their pejorative use of the term affirmative action. And they have implied you were solely nominated due to your race and not for other factors. Let me be clear. Your nomination is about, not about filling a quota. It is about time. It's about time that we have a highly qualified, highly accomplished black woman on the Supreme Court. It's about time our highest court better reflects the country it serves. It's about time that black women and girls across the country can finally see themselves who look like them sitting on the highest court, making decisions that will impact their lives. Now, did you catch what she said? And the reason why I wanted to play that for you is because Senator Hirono, in one minute, completely contradicted herself. She started out by bashing Republicans who say that the nomination of Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson is not about filling a quota, but it's about time. And then she goes on to state why it's time to nominate a black woman to the Supreme Court. Now, I have no problem with a black woman on the Supreme Court. We should have had a black woman on the Supreme Court years ago. But my complaint is, is that by President Biden stating that I will only nominate a black woman to the Supreme Court, he did set up a quota. He set up a quota that would be in violation of federal law in any other circumstance. So if my law firm tomorrow, if we put out a sign that said, we will only hire attorneys who are black women, if we did that, we would be sued the same day that that ad goes up on uh, Indeed.com. We would be sued because if I limit my hiring to a black woman, then anyone who's not a black woman is going to sue me for discrimination and they're going to win. And my law firm is going to lose. Businesses, Acme Company, it's the exact same way. But in this one narrow circumstance with saying that it's a nomination to the Supreme Court, Biden gets to perform an act that would be illegal in any other circumstance. And Senator Hirono just now told you why, that she supports the idea of a quota at the Supreme Court. That is a mistake, folks, and I hope it's a mistake that people understand. Coming up in the next hour, I'm going to play some other clips from the nomination hearings because I want you to understand not just who Judge Jackson is, but what she believes. Brad Young, at your service, KMOX. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.